Okay, we left off around verse 24 of Judges 13. And the text says, The woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him and made him name Dan between Zorah and Estol. Now, one of the things that we often miss, I often miss it, I assume you do too, because as soon as it happens so quickly and so frequently, that in a chapter of the Bible, we will see a prophecy given and a prophecy fulfilled. The woman was told that she was going to bear a son, and uh, that promise was given in verses 2 through 5. She repeats that promise in verse 7. Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And she's relating that to her husband. And so what happens? The woman gave birth to a son. This is a barren woman, just like Sarah, just like uh, Rebecca had been. She is barren, and the Lord has given her a son. So there is a prophecy made and a prophecy fulfilled. And the Bible says that she named him Samson. One writer says in the Old Testament, both men and women name children, but women do so more frequently than men. Now, he admitted some of those statistics are skewed by the fact that in Genesis 30, there's problems in the family, and so the women keep naming the sons uh, in, in Genesis 29 and 30 with Jacob's wives. But more frequently, the women named the children, and the Lord blessed him. But the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. We have seen the Spirit of the Lord that has come on Samson. Uh, we have seen this on other judges. We have seen this on Othniel. We saw this on Gideon. We saw this on Jephthah. But it will be used more frequently of Samson than it will of any other judge. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And the, the idea of this, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him, is God God is empowering him God is strengthening him uh, and this is a way to God to stir him up in conflict with the Philistines well, let's go into chapter 14 Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah one of the daughters of the Philistines so he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistine? Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. 
Now at this time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Okay, Timnah. Timnah was part, it was one of the towns that was given to the tribe of Dan. I'm making sure I have my verse correct. It is Joshua uh, Joshua 19, Joshua 19 and verse 43. Timnah would have been assigned to the tribe of Dan. It is also mentioned, I believe this verse is correct, Joshua 15 verse 10. As the Bible is... Uh, describing Judah. And so this is probably on the boundary between Judah and, and Dan, but it is given to the tribe of Dan. So already you have a city that is assigned to Dan that seems like it is under Philistine control. So that's not a good thing. And he goes to Timnah, the text says he saw a woman, and the first words he spoke were, I saw a woman. Now, that's going to be pretty significant in Samson's life overall, because he's going to be driven by his desire and what he sees to such a degree that ultimately he will lose his eyesight. I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines, get her for me. His mom and dad said, isn't there some good Israelite girl that you could uh, become involved with? Why do you have to go to the uncircumcised Philistines? Now, one of the things I don't know that I was conscious of, that every time in the Old Testament when the term uncircumcised is used, it is a reference to the Philistines. Some references you see here in Judges 14 and verse 3. Samson is going to make a reference to it in 15 verse 8. David will make a reference to this in his conflicts with Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 verse 26 and 27. When Saul is dying, he is worried that he will fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. The Philistines were considered an outrage because they didn't practice circumcision in any shape, form, or fashion. Now, some of them practice it much different than Israel. In Israel, you're to be circumcised on the eighth day. But the Philistines do not practice it at all. And as one writer said, they were the lowest you could go on the social scale, the social rung, because... They are uncircumcised. And by the way, I, I think all of that probably. How the Philistines were mocked for this should play in the background of these controversies in the New Testament where the Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be regarded as Christians in Acts 15 and in the book of Galatians. Does anything seem wrong with Samson's behavior Oh, yeah, I, well, yes. Just, just point out to me what are some things that are wrong with his behavior? Totally selfish. Okay, he only seems to be concerned about himself. 
Only seems to be concerned. And, and also, he's probably not operating on too deep of a basis. He seems to have decided who he wants to take. I, I can't say specifically whether he's never talked to her, but and he doesn't say that. He just said, I saw her. And uh, that was enough for him in his explanation right here. So he's just mo- operating on the basis of himself and his desires. And he's not honoring his parents. At least it doesn't. When I read this, I don't see a lot of respect in the way he addresses his parents yeah. um, initially and certainly his follow-up. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't care. Get it for me. You go do this now kind of thing. Well, Abraham arranged the marriage for Isaac in Genesis 24. And um, you see other kinds of instances like that. Like, I take it even in some of the judges, you know, that they gave their sons to these women or they brought these women in for their sons or, or, or various things like this, that, that it seems to indicate parents played some role in that. But he doesn't seem respectful of his parents at all. Get her for me, for she is right for me. Sometimes when um, parents parents may see things in relationships like this that young people don't. Um, any other thing that you see right there? Well, he says she looks good to me. Okay, so she... His decisions seem to be based upon looks. Yeah, it, it, it seems to be based upon looks. I will tell you something else about this word good. You know, um, some of you have heard me say this. Well, at least my family hears me say this a lot if they go with me uh, in a meeting. Because I like to preach on Genesis 3. But saw good and took. And the words that are used there in Genesis 3, 6, saw good and took are three words that are used quite generally in the Old Testament in the vocabulary of sin. Uh, saw, good, took. Now, right here, two of those three words are used. Saw and took. The word that is not used is the word good. And David just mentioned good. It uses a different word for good. Now, what does all this mean? And and, and I'm not trying to lose you here. The word that's used here for good, get her for me, for she looks good to me in 14.3 and 14.7. This word for good is the word also used in 17.6 and 21.25. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was good right in his own eyes. This is what I'm trying to say. We are prepared for that ending of the book by looking at characters like Samson. Samson is a judge who does what's right in his eyes. He epitomizes the problems of the people and I think that's what we see here. But I also think that you see in this, these verses, 
you see human motives and divine motives all working together. Now, from a personal standpoint, I think Samson is disrespectful of his parents. He is just operating on the basis of how this woman looks. I think all those things that you said are right. He is selfish. But from God's purpose, he has a perspective as well. God, in verse 4, it said, His father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Is this saying that Samson's intermarriage with the Philistine are right? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I don't think it's saying that. I've had friends that have argued that with me a long time, but I don't think that's the point. I think the point of 14.4 is the Lord is using this. God has already made His will known on the subject. In Judges 3, verses 1-6, through He stated it pretty plainly. I think it's just saying that the Lord is using this. Let me give you a couple of verses that I think are good parallels that you can look at and compare. 2 Samuel, excuse me, 2 Samuel 17-14. This is when Absalom is Absalom is in a rebellion against David and when he's in this rebellion remember he calls for the advice of Ahithophel who says let's go kill David tonight then he calls for the advice of Hushai who says no wait and gather all Israel to you and it says the Lord ordained to overthrow the good counsel of Ahithophel with the counsel of Hushai God was so ordering events that they will take Hushai's advice, which from a military standpoint was bad advice, instead of Ahithophel's good advice. Ahithophel's advice is not moral. It's not good in that sense. It's good in a sense. It's good military tactic. But God used this to overthrow. In another passage, 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 15. 1 Kings 12, verse 15. This is in the division of the kingdom between Jeroboam in the, in the south, Rehoboam in the north, and the Bible tells us that this division comes about because of the Lord. Does it mean that Rehoboam is acting, or Jeroboam is acting for noble purposes? doesn't mean that at all. It just simply says the Lord is using this to bring about His fulfilled prophecy and punish Solomon for his idolatry. So I don't think it means Samson did a good thing, but it does mean the Lord is using the bad thing He's doing to stir up this animosity between the Philistines and the Israelites because the Israelites right now are too accepting of the status quo. But, but any questions there? Any disagreement on verse 4? Okay. Samson, verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. 
And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. So he tore him as one tears a young goat. He had nothing in his hand, and he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. Same word that was used previously. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hand and went on, eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. So, Samson goes down to Timnah with his father and mother. Now, his father and mother are with him. I think what Sarah said earlier about him being disrespectful is true. But his father and mother are now going along with him. Should they have? I don't know. And that's a dangerous sign. I'll tell you something else that's a dangerous sign. He is a Nazarite and he's getting real close to the vineyards. And that's kind of an ominous sign. Right now we can say he hadn't done wrong with that. But the Spirit of the Lord came on him. When the Spirit of the Lord comes on Samson, it is tied to his physical strength. The Spirit of the Lord came on him and a lion comes rushing out at him and he tears the lion apart. Apparently, grabbing the lion by the legs, by the back legs, and just ripping it in two as one would do with a goat, he says, a a newborn goat. And, well, he goes to the woman, he talks to the woman. First, first reference that it specifically says he talked to her. When he comes back, he goes aside to check into this body of the lion. And there, bees have made a home and are making honey. First, I think it's pretty remarkable that Samson hasn't told anybody about this. I, I think if I had done that, I, I might let that slip. Uh, But Samson didn't tell anybody about that. But that's key to the plot. And But he sees this honey and he gets this honey and he eats it and gives it to his parents. Now, what is the problem with that? He's not to be around a dead body. Okay. It's got, it's got to be, I would assume it's unclean. I mean, it is unclean. Honey it is unclean. in itself is not, but... <laughs> no, it's not the honey that's the problem. It's the carcass that's yeah. the problem. Whoever touches the animal, the carcass of an animal, of a dead animal, is unclean in Leviticus chapter 11. And um, he touches it. Now he was told, or his mother was told before he was born, eat nothing unclean. And here he is doing this nonchalantly, I might add, and also giving it to his parents um, and not letting them know anything about the source of the honey. 
Now, again, those food laws were made in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. Now, the other night, Micah asked a question about um, eating things unclean. Um, let me let me state this as I think back on it. And, and first of all, everything God said, what God said, when it, when God said it, it's not optional. You know, God God, it's not optional. It's not selective on our part. And God wants the people to do it. And and I would also say what God said is purposeful. The purpose of this distinction between clean and unclean foods was to keep his people separate from the nations, which is exactly what they're not doing with these Philistines. It was to keep his people separate from the nations. And I, and I would say this, and, and again, we don't know everything about daily life, but we may overestimate how difficult this is for the average Israelite. We think, oh, that would have been so difficult. Probably none of you have eaten, I don't know, I never have. I've never eaten horses. I've never eaten a lot of things that wouldn't have been clean according to the law. Has that been hard for me to avoid? No. I've never had it served. I've never been in a situation. It may be that way from the Jewish perspective. One of the reasons I say that Ezekiel was in Babylonian captivity. And do you remember how he said that he has never eaten anything unclean in Ezekiel 4.14? And of course, later, Peter is building on that statement when he says the same thing. So we may overestimate we may overestimate how difficult that is because there are some things they are forbidden that we do eat and we may overestimate that. But I will say this. It may have been the person who touched the carcass was considered unclean till evening. It may have been in fruit preparation even that the person was made unclean because they were dealing with the animal. And I don't know how you deal with all of that, whether they waited till the next day or... or, or, or but, but that ties to the point that David was making, not in every instance, is uncleanness a sin. Because in that, that case with the unclean animal, you may have to move that animal somewhere and get it out of the water supply or something. But, um, so, that's all I'm going to say about that because I've... I've Got myself confused the other night. <laughs> but um, but it does show us Samson's breaking down in regard to being really concerned about his vow. And he is eating something that is clearly unclean that he should not have eaten. Um, any, what thoughts do you have right there on those verses? Anything, Debbie? I was just thinking, spiritually, you don't see Samson anywhere near the vow that he seems to be keeping to some degree. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, the fact that he didn't have a problem 
intermarrying, which was against the law. And then this idea of eating, making himself unclean there, and giving it to his parents. Yeah. That would make them unclean, mm-hmm. hidden from them. Yeah. But he didn't seem to, God didn't really seem to be in his, too, too close to his vision, I would say. All the women he's involved with are Philistine women. And he is involved in a moral relationship, at least with this woman, he does seem to want to marry. It doesn't seem to be the case otherwise. He is, he is, the, the part of the vow that he seems to keep is not cutting his hair. But um, he doesn't, the purpose of all of this was to lead to a deeper dedication to God. And he seems to be missing that. Just missing that total. And yet God can use him. God still uses him in a remarkable way. That's exactly right. He does. In spite of that. Anything else? Well, what, what do you do when the lion's chasing you? I mean, that, that's, that's amazing to me. I mean, he, yeah. he had abilities that I wouldn't have, but I, I think I would try to fight back. <laughs> Well, that's a good. It's a good question. <laughs> Breaking groups talk about that. What would you do with a lion? He's trying to take. I mean, I'll tell you what. I don't know if any plan is going to be successful unless the spirit of the Lord comes upon us and uh, allows us to either run fast or uh, rip the lion apart. I wonder too was the lion to keep him out of the vineyard. Well, it's getting close to the. The lion appears. He just appears all of a sudden. But in a certain sense, this is going to end up playing a big part in the story. So what I think we see, even in a certain sense, though it's not stated, it's kind of like the book of Jonah, that all the animals even play a part in God's design. So somehow this, this lion does play a part in that. Um, not, not the part he would have liked to have played. Okay? <laughs> but in verse 10, it said, His father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young, man, young men customarily did this. And it came about when he saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. <laughs> then Samson said to them, Let me now propound a riddle to you, if you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you're unable to tell me, then you give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, propound the riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. So, Samson um, is at this feast. Now, uh, Block points out in his commentary that this word feast generally referred to a drinking bout of seven days. What's going to be the problem with that? That's, you know, a a Nazarite not to go near grapes, not to be involved with this. uh, And so this might, 
It's not stated specifically that he drank, but but he is in an an environment that certainly would have not respected uh, the type of thing that he is supposed to be considering. And uh, I can imagine these 30 companions that are provided to him feel confident that, that one of them can come up with the answer to this riddle. But, he, but the point, this riddle would have been unable to solve unless you had personal knowledge of what happened. Yeah. And he's kept this secret apparently. And so as he's kept this secret, now he can use it in an occasion like this. And the deal is, listen, if you interpret my riddle, I'll get each of you a change of clothes. But if you're not able, each of you gets me a change of clothes. And in this, maybe I can imagine uh, this spirit where they think they've got time and they've got the numbers advantage. Yes, you give us the riddle. And he says this particular riddle Well, three days have come and gone, and they don't have any answer. No kind of explanation. What in the world does this mean? Look at verse 15. It says, It came about on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, and she is called his wife in this passage, Do all of your translations in verse 15 have on the fourth day? Yeah, mine has seven. The seventh day. What what is that, Amanda? The New King James. The New King James. You know the Hebrew text actually has the seventh day. The Septuagint, the Greek translation, has the fourth day. Now, why would they come up with fourth day? Well, one, he's just mentioned three days in verse 14. And then it, it seems like it's evident that, that this uh, weeping on Samson's wife part goes on to the last day of the feast in verse 17. So, so most favor, most translations favor the Septuagint here over the Hebrew text, which, which is rare. But she is told in verse 15, entice your husband that he may tell us the riddle or we will burn your father's house with fire, have you invited us here to impoverish us? Now she keeps a secret from her husband. She she whines later, oh you don't tell me everything, and uh, she's not telling him everything either. And she would have been a lot better off if she told him this. Because I imagine he probably, with the Spirit of the Lord, could have taken care of this. But says, have you invited us here, in verse 15, have you invited us here, the New American Standard has, to dispossess us. I don't know what all your versions have, but dispossess, no it doesn't say dispossess, it says impoverish, it says impoverish. That's what the New American Standard says. Impoverish the New American Standard. Now, but the point, the real definition of the word is to dispossess. The point I want to make here, the word that's used is the main word that was used both of Israel, the the same word can mean possess or dispossess. 
It's the word used talking about Israel possessing the promised land and of Israel dispossessing those who dwell in the midst of the land. Have you invited us here to dispossess us? In a certain sense, that is the whole point of this, is God is uprooting these people from the land. They inadvertently have hit upon what God is doing. Not what the wife is doing, but what God is doing in the midst of this situation. God is trying to drive people like this out of the land. Samson's wife wept before him and says, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to my people and have not told it to me. And he said, Behold, I have not told my mother, my father, or mother. So should I tell you? Now it's interesting there, his great loyalty to his mother and father. I haven't told them. Why should I tell you? And by the way, they don't like you anyway. In verse 17, However, she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted, and it came about on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him so hard. She then told the riddle to the sons of her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, they wait to the last moment, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion. And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And that is, as one writer said, as disgusting in that culture, uh, as, as much of an insult to the wife in that culture as it would be in ours. Um, but, Let's, let's make some comparisons here. Okay. Judges 16. <laughs> Judges 14. And Judges 16. What's going to happen in 16? Who's going to be the woman involved? Delilah. Delilah. In both cases, they are told to entice. In 14.15 and 16.5. Also, in both cases, they accuse Samson of not loving them. 14.16 16 verse 15 they press him same word is used in 14 16 and 14 17 excuse me and 16 16 in both cases the women end up telling Samson's secret. And then um, in both cases Samson suffers and he uses this against the Philistines. Both cases. Here, he kills 30 Philistines in Ashkelon. Later, he will bring down the temple. 
of Dagon. But just as a masterful, a masterfully written piece of literature often gives hint of what's going to happen before it gets to the end, so this does. And we see a weakness of Samson. A man who could rip a lion apart with his bare hand. A man who doesn't, there's never once in this account, in any of these accounts about Samson, a mention of any other Israelites working with him. He fights the Philistines all by himself. And he could defeat a thousand at a time or three thousand at a time. But one-on-one with a woman, he was going to lose. And he does both times. And I think when Proverbs 7 gives its warning against sexual immorality, then it talks about the fact that the battlefield is just full of warriors who have fallen to this sin. Samson is a prime demonstration of that. He is a prime demonstration of that. So everything that's happening here shows us a weakness in Samson and prepares us for danger later on. In verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came on him mightily. He went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of them and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes and those who told the riddle and his anger burned and he went to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to to his companion who had been his friend. Ashkelon is about 20 miles or so away from Timnah. Maybe he's wanting to go here because... It's not, they're not going to make the connection between Samson killing these strangers just to take their clothing and this event. Maybe that's the purpose, I don't know. But, but anyway, he goes there, he kills them. To get their clothes off, there's no doubt at this point he's touching a dead body, which is something a Nazarite was not to do in number six. So it, it, I think it probably went without saying the Nazarite probably wasn't supposed to kill someone. But but then he was not even supposed to touch a dead body. He's doing both in this particular case. What else? What other thoughts there on 14? This 15 continues the same story. I'm just wondering, like, how good are these clothes? Now? <laughs> you know, well, someone's been killed in them. Depending on, you know, how he decided to to execute that you know, yeah. well I'm sure you know, he, he would be one that could have that could have plotted that and killed them in yeah. such a way as the clothes aren't messed up uh, but I had not thought about that Sarah. that's uh, uh that's it's kind of like here's your clothes yeah <laughs> or, or maybe he didn't care that they were messed he up. may not have here's your clothes he may it may not have been but you know the, the amazing thing about him here and this is one interesting thing. He does keep his word on that. Now, I'm not trying to make him into a moral hero, but that's the only thing that he does. It seems to be kind of you know, faithful to what we would expect a person to be. Um, he keeps that vow, but... Yeah, he doesn't keep it in the best way. I'm not defending that. But in, in 15.1, after a while, the time of wheat harvest, 
it came about that Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go to my wife in her room, but her father did not let him enter. Now, he still thinks they're married. He stormed out after they told this riddle. Uh, his wife has been given to someone else, but he storms out and apparently it may have been part of the arrangement as was sometimes done in those societies that he goes to live at his home she goes to live at her home and he will visit her uh, occasionally and he brings a present here a young goat and um, her father did not let him enter in verse 2 her father said, I really thought you hated her intensely. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please let her be yours instead. Well, he knows how to appeal to Samson. Her younger daughter is more beautiful. Her younger sister is more beautiful. But Samson's, Samson uh, cannot take such a uh, situation in verse 3, Then Samson said to them, This time I will be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Samson went out and caught 300 foxes and took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put one torch in the middle between the two tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning up both the shocks and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and groves. Then the Philistines said, Who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Going back to verse 3, Samson says, okay, this time I'm justified in getting revenge. What we will see in Judges 15 is that the, the uh, cycle of vengeance uh, continues to increase and escalate. Um, this is a good illustration of the danger of what happens when you, you don't pay attention to Jesus' words to turn the other cheek in Matthew 5. But he's going to be blameless. He goes out and catches foxes. And, and I don't know if all of your foxes have, all of your versions have foxes. Some, some have argued that jackals would be a better word. And, 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 and some, one person talked about a heated debate uh, that translators got into over which word is best. And because jackals sometimes are more in groups than foxes, it might have been easier to catch 300, but, 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 but uh, don't want to get lost in that. But he captures them, he either he ties this torch between their legs or, 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 or with tails or sets their tails on fire or something, but they go wild in the grain, they burn down all of the wheat harvest. And not only that, but they get into the vineyards and the groves as well. The grapes and the olives, and they do great destruction. If you're an agricultural society, this was an absolutely devastating blow. I mean, to us, you know, you know if we had a little garden and something happened to it, there's not anybody here that's going to starve, Lord willing. 
But there, it may not be so good of a situation. And this was a devastating blow. So when the Philistines hear about it, and they quickly are able to figure out what happened, they try to burn, they, they burn uh, this girl and her father. So what they threatened in 1415, they ultimately fulfill in 15 verse 6. So Samson has done wrong because he thinks he's been wrong. The Philistines retaliate. Samson's going to retaliate again. In verse 7, Samson said to them, Since you acted like this, I will surely take revenge on you. But after this, I'll quit. I'm going to stop after this. He struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter, and he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock of Atam. Now, we don't know how many he killed on this occasion, but he struck the Philistines ruthlessly. Verse 9, the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come against us? And they said, we've come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. The 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Atam and said to Samson, do you not know the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I've done to them. And they said to him, We've come down to bind you, so we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me. So they said to him, No, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands, yet surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two ropes and brought him up from the rock. Okay. So, the Philistines come to take Samson in verse 10 to do to him as he did to us. In verse 11, when they asked Samson, why have you done this? He said, uh, as they've done to me, so I've done to them. Just doing to others what they do to us. And Jesus, of course, calls us to a higher standard. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. But Samson and the Philistines are battling in this regard. Now, the statement in verse 11, Do you not know the Philistines are rulers over us? Says volumes. They are content with submission to the Philistines. We pointed out before that there is no record of the people crying out for deliverance from this oppression. And when the angel tells Samson's mother he's going to begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines, when she relates these things to her husband Manoah, she doesn't even mention that detail. Doesn't even mention the fact he's going to begin to deliver us from the Philistines. They are content, it seems, with Philistine rule. Don't you know they're rulers over us? And that status quo must be disrupted. When God's people are too at home in the world, that has to be disrupted. And Samson is a disruptor. 
We said a moment ago that no one fights with Samson. Matter of fact, they even bite him and hand him over. They're not fighting with him. They're against him in this scene. And it's interesting that Samson goes along with this. But he said, you promised me that you won't kill me. Now, I want you to begin, if you haven't already, to look for connections between this account and Jesus. I'm not saying Samson is all that he should be. But his own people bind him and hand him over to the enemy. Just like what will happen with Jesus. But in Samson's case, he at least gets the promise from them. He at least gets the promise, we will not kill you. That's the whole purpose of them binding Jesus and handing him over. So they may kill him. Lord willing, we can pick up in verse 14 on Wednesday night. Any comments or questions as we close? The reason he gave himself so freely over to his own people is because he knew that the power, his power wouldn't be against God's own people. Yeah, he, he, he definitely seems to not want to damage them, but want to fight with the Philistines at this point. So, and, and whether he anticipated the Spirit of the Lord coming on him as it did, I don't know. But thank you.